chapter 2 tonight. Luke chapter 2, I'm going to just start reading here in verse 8. And it says, And they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So, once again, we're here celebrating the birth of our Savior. It's Christmas Eve, and it's appropriate to look at this story and just a reminder of how our Savior was born. And what an amazing story it is, too, just the fact that Jesus Christ left heaven to come to be born in a, to just an ordinary family. And not even just ordinary. I mean, you can almost say less than ordinary. I mean, how many people have to have their children in a stable? How many people, you know, do you think back in that time had to wrap their newborn baby in swaddling clothes and lay him in a manger for a bed. Well, that's what happened to our Lord. And, and of course, we, you know we know the story, and it's a it's a great thing to just look back on and to think about and just ponder. And we do we celebrate the birth, but we need to remember it's important that we keep in mind the whole purpose of his birth. And the purpose of his birth was ultimately that he would eventually die. And he was he, Jesus Christ. He was born. So he could die. It was always his plan to go to the cross. That was the whole intention of him coming. We talked about it a little bit this morning on uh, Sunday school, talking about how he was that promised seed. He was that that God prophesied was going to come right there in the beginning in Genesis, and it was always his plan to go to the cross, and it was imperative that he lived a life like a normal man. He wasn't somebody that you know he couldn't just show up out of heaven in a physical form like he did many times in the Old Testament. Many times in the Old Testament, we see God appearing to man and we know that it was Jesus Christ. We know it was the Son that appeared to man. But it was different this time when Jesus came to earth because I mean, he was here in the flesh with flesh like ours, just without sin. He was made in the likeness of man. He made himself a little lower than the angels. And there were several reasons that he had to... Come and be born just like you are, you and I are. He had to, you know, he was a baby at one time. He had to be fed by his mother. And look what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. One of the reasons for this says, Seeing this, then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. One of the reasons Jesus had to come as a man is because of the fact that we needed a high priest that would understand us. We see that God who is holy and God who is righteous, who, uh, you know, it's with, with Him, I mean, we see the, you know, the wrath of God. That's on us all the time. You know, God is angry with the wicked every day. God who is holy and who is just, I mean, it's part of His job is to punish sin. And we see that punishment for sin is eternity in hell. But thankfully, God is a God of love too. And so for God to be able to pay for sin, in order for Him to be able to, I guess you could say, you know, fully grasp what we go through. He had to live like us. He had to be tempted 
in all points like as we are. But, you know, thankfully there was that difference because he was holy, because he was conceived of the Holy Ghost. He never sinned. He never gave in to temptation. We see how after his baptism, Satan tempted him for 40 days in the wilderness. And he used all the same methods, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Satan immediately went to his go-to, the very things he used to get eat, to eat of the fruit. The things that get us to sin all the time, and they did not work on Jesus Christ, but because He lived that life, we can go to Him for anything, and He understands what we're going through. He, un- he And have you ever maybe been in a situation before, and you maybe you wanted somebody to talk to, but you're like, you know, this person, nobody can understand. Nobody understands my situation. Nobody knows what it's like. Nobody understands what I'm going through. And you know what, when it comes to earthly things, you know, that may be, or when it comes to other people, that may be true. You know, I try to be understanding and compassionate as a pastor, but there might be some things that you're going through that I don't understand. Things that I've never experienced. Things I've never gone through. Things that I've never had to face. But thankfully, with Jesus Christ, He was tempted in all points, like as we are. Maybe not with every single temptation. You know, Jesus, of course, He was never tempted to watch a bad movie on television. Okay, But at the same time, you know, there's different categories, I guess you could say, of temptations. Probably the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And Jesus was tempted in all those things. So when we're facing these things, he understands what we're going through. And what's interesting about that is, you know, in many ways, when we, if we really get honest with ourselves, that should scare us. Because if we're real honest, you know, we could overcome those temptations if we wanted to, can't we? But we don't want to many times. Well, many times we don't even try. And so understand that when... That is the case when we give in to temptations without even trying. Jesus understands that's what we did. But at the same time, He is a merciful high priest. He is one that, you know, He is our advocate with the Father. And even though we're saved and we still mess up, we see that Jesus, He kind of intercedes for us on our behalf. You know, when God, who's angry with the wicked every day, is ready to, you know, just take us out, we've got Jesus standing there saying, you know, I paid for their sin. And even though we are so easily, you know, tempted, even though we give in so easily with hardly any effort, He still, for some reason that I will never understand, He doesn't look at that and get angry and just say, forget these people. He still forgives us. And he still goes to bat for us. And he, and he could not have done that had he not lived a life as a man. And that was one of the reasons he had to come that way. You know, he had to live that life. You know, it's like, why didn't he, why did he wait until he was 30 before he started his ministry? Well, I, I personally believe he just needed that time to live a normal life, to work a job, to be a carpenter. He knows what it's like to work and what it's like to labor. He, he's dealt with these things. And so, we have, we do not have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knows what we're going through. He knows what we're facing. And we see also another reason that he needed to come and he needed to live a life on earth the way he did is he needed to obey these laws. We see in the Old Testament, there's all these laws that are given that let's just be honest, they're pretty strict, aren't they? I mean, you know, I grew up in a preacher's home. People are like, man, your, your family's so strict. Well, my family is not as strict as family that Jesus was from. Do you realize maybe not so much from his earthly mother and earthly father, but you realize the expectations his heavenly father had for him? He expected him 
to keep every one of those laws that we see in the Old Testament, and He did it. And you know, I think we need to take time to recognize this too, because understand, Jesus had to obey every single law. Well, do you realize there were laws for newborn babies? Look what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 22. Well, it's a baby. You know, he doesn't have a choice. So I think we need to take the time to recognize the fact that God chose Mary and Joseph for a reason. God had to choose people that would also be obedient to the laws so it would be possible for Jesus to be the Messiah. Because look what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 22. It says, And when the days of purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, Every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. You all understand that this was part of the law, what they were doing? Every firstborn, he was holy, and they were supposed to make that sacrifice of the two turtle doves or the two young pigeons. And understand that Jesus is just a little baby. He can't do that himself, but that is part of the law being fulfilled for him. And you understand his parents had to do that. And thank God they did it. And they did. They came and they brought him according to the days of purification of the law of Moses. They brought him just like they were supposed to. They offer that offering just like they were supposed to. We see also in the book of Luke that on the eighth day, they took him and circumcised him. Now understand again, Jesus had no choice in that, did he? But that had to be done. For him to be the Messiah, it's got to be someone who obeys every single law. And what if his parents would have decided, well, we don't think it's that important? Well, it would have messed everything up. Oh, no, God would have made an exception. God doesn't make exceptions. Okay? Understand, God is holy. And so we see that these things were important. He needed to obey those laws. But not just those ceremonial laws, which he did obey all of those, but all the moral laws. And I believe he even obeyed those spirit of the law. Remember how he told the people, you know, hey, if you look at a woman to lust after you've committed adultery in your heart, you know, if you hate your brother, you talk about hating your brother. He never did any of those things. Not only on the outside did he never sin, he never even sinned on the inside. That because of the fact he was the Son of God. And so he proved the law could be kept, but only by somebody who's holy. And what did that prove to us? It proved that we're not holy. He showed us up big time. We had 4,000 years of human history you know, where millions and millions of people had been born and nobody ever kept the law. And it would have been real easy for everybody to say, well, you know, we're all sinners. You know, so no big deal. As long as we're better than most, shouldn't we get to go to heaven? No, Jesus came and He showed up the whole world by obeying every single one of those laws. Never having sinned in any way and He proved the law could be kept but by someone who is holy, showing the rest of the world that you are not holy. Showing the rest of the world that you are sinners. And you do deserve that penalty of sin. And our admission of Jesus as Savior is an admission that the law, that Old Testament law is good. And that we need saving. Look what it says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 31. I like this verse right here. Romans 3, verse 31. Because many times too, because of all these ceremonial things 
that are in the law that we don't do anymore that Jesus finished, people act like, you know, we say the law is void. And the Old Testament, and many people do say, ah, the Old Testament doesn't matter anymore. Well, the ceremonial things don't matter because of the fact that Jesus finished those. He finished it. He completed it. He didn't make it void. He didn't do away with it. He finished it. Okay? He, fin- he ended those things. He brought it to an end, those ceremonial things. And, but at the same time, the moral law, we believe this moral law is still in place, but we don't have to keep the moral law in order to obtain salvation. So what people will try to do sometimes is spin that and say, well, you know, you're saying those things don't matter. Well, actually, according to Romans chapter 3, when we admit we need a Savior, we are admitting that the Old Testament law is good and that it's right. Look what it says in Romans 3.31. It says, Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. We see right there that you know it, it, people might get the idea because it's not of works, talking about the works of the law, it's of faith, so are we saying that the law is void? Are we saying that the law is no good anymore? That we don't need, need it anymore? No. When a person gets saved, what they're doing is they are admitting that every bit of that Old Testament is good. What we're doing when you got saved, whether you understood it or not, what you were doing is you were saying, hey, this law is good. It's holy. It's right. And I failed. I did not keep that law. I I have sinned. I have transgressed that Old Testament law. And if I stand before God and I am judged according to this law, I am going to go to hell. But I don't want to go to hell. And so what do we do? We call on the Lord for salvation. Save me from my sins. Save me from the penalty of sin. I have transgressed the law. When a person when a person gets saved, they are admitting that the law is good. So you see why it's foolish to say, "Oh, the Old Testament law is done away with," or the old Old Testament law it doesn't matter. No, these things do matter, and that's why we need to get saved because we can't keep the law. And so the and it's like we overemphasize that too much because you've got all these people too that teach, "No, you got to obey the law to be saved." And no, it's not by works of the law. And so it's like they will try to spin that on us like we're saying, oh, the law doesn't matter, the law's no good. No, we're just saying that it's not of works because we can't keep the law. We're admitting we can't do it. But when a person gets, when a person calls on the Lord for salvation, they are admitting that they, that the law is good. You know what they're doing? They're pleading guilty. And it's like today in court, when you go and you're charged with something, a lot of times you'll get in less trouble if you plead guilty. But many people, they'll often plead not guilty, even if they broke the law, many times because they don't acknowledge that as law. They think it's an unjust law. They think it's unfair. And they'll be like, not guilty. I didn't break any law. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not guilty. But when we get saved, you know what we're doing? We're saying, I plead guilty. I broke the law. Meaning that we admit that the law is good. And so understand that every one of us who are saved, we have admitted, we have established the law, we have said that the law is good, but I am not good. I broke the law. And so what am I doing? I'm calling on the Lord for salvation. I I already missed the boat in getting to heaven through the works of the law because I'm a sinner. 
and I'm admitting that law is good and I didn't keep it, but I want to go to heaven anyway. And so I'm going to call on the Lord for salvation because he did keep the law. He, kept, he didn't just make it up and tell us to do it and then never did it himself. He did it himself. He obeyed those laws. He lived a life on earth without sin. And so it had to be somebody also who was innocent to be the sacrifice. Okay, if he's going to pay for our sins, well, that means he can't have sins to be held accountable for himself. Because then if he dies, it's just. We, see, we saw this morning that death came into the world by sin. So Jesus, if he lives a life without sin, then how can he die? There is no death without sin. So when Jesus died, when Jesus went to the cross, we see that that death that he, that he died, it was not because of our sin because he was innocent, or because of his sin because he was innocent, it was because of our sin. We see in Luke 23 verse 4, then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. We talked about this when we were going through the book of John. How according to every law that there was, according to the biblical law, according to the Roman law, they had no legal reason, no legal right at all to put Jesus on the cross. But yet, he went there anyway. And it's an amazing thing that it happened that way because of the fact that how do you go die, you know, get the death penalty when you don't break any laws? Nobody's lost. There are some way, there are some places in the world today, if you wanted to, you could not violate God's laws and still get the death penalty because you'd be violating the laws of that land. You know, there's some places maybe if you tried spreading the gospel, they would probably put you to death. But Jesus, he went to the cross not having broke any of God's laws and not breaking any of man's laws. And yet he still he still went to the cross. And what an amazing thing that was, but it had to be somebody innocent. So when he was there, he was capable of paying for our sins because here he is dying the death of a sinner, paying a penalty of sin when he had no sin. And as a result of that, God was able to accept that as payment for all of our sins. Well, how does that work? He was just one man paying for the sins of the whole world. Well, it works the same way as by one man sin came into the world. And by one man came the resurrection of the dead, and that was Jesus Christ. And so it had to be a man to pay for the sins of man. We believe that Jesus was all God, but we believe he was all man too, don't we? You know, and that's a great mystery. That's called that mystery of godliness that we talked about a while back. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, as it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last, Adam, was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy, and the second man is Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy, and as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And we have borne the image, and as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. So just like I talked about that this morning, just like we bear the image of Adam, one of these days, we are going to bear the image of the heavenly Jesus Christ. We were able to do that because He paid for our sins and when we believed on Him, the Bible says we were born again. And so, that day is coming where we are going to be just like Christ. And so, there's a, there's a, great, a great lesson that we learn from the life of Christ. 
is the fact that he is a great, he, he is the, he's the ultimate example of everything. But Jesus Christ is the ultimate example of a life that is lived for other people. You think about that. He was born so he could die for us. But it, his birth and his death wasn't all there was to it. His entire life had to be perfect. His entire life had to be without sin. Every bit of his life was lived with the goal of going to the cross. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. It's real easy for us to get real caught up in ourselves and to get caught up in the difficulties of our life and it can cause us to faint in our minds. But you know what? Let's think about Jesus as our example who lived an entire life. Every moment of His life was lived so He could be the Messiah, so He could pay the penalty of our sins. All He had to do was one time go against the law of God. And I've said this before and I'm going to say it again just because I like it and I like the looks I get on people's face when I say it. But if Jesus one time would have seen a little puppy dog walking down the road or a cute little kitty cat walking down the road, most of us, we see that and we want to pet it, don't we? But you know what? Jesus couldn't pet that little kitty cat and He couldn't pet that puppy dog. You know why? Because they were animals of four legs that walked, walked on all four legs with paws and those were considered unclean. Jesus never pet a dog or a cat. I believe that with all my heart. He would have been unclean. Oh, no, that wouldn't have mattered. It did matter to the Jews. It doesn't matter to us. We're not under those ceremonial things. We don't have those ceremonial cleansing things. So well, what, what if Jesus would have touched a dog? You're saying He wouldn't have been the Messiah? No, I'm saying that dog would have turned into something else. Where do you get that? Well, you weren't allowed to touch a leper either. You'd be considered unclean. But Jesus did touch lepers. So what happened? They weren't unclean anymore, were they? They weren't, they weren't lepers anymore. That woman with an issue of blood, if you touched her or she touched you, you were considered unclean according to the ceremonial law. So what happened when she snuck up to Jesus and she touched the hem of His garment? She wasn't unclean anymore. So either the dog would have turned into something else, which I think is pretty cool, or it would have cleansed it somehow. How and how do you cleanse a dog? I have no idea. I, I you know what, what does he have to heal them of? You know, what, all of a sudden they sprouted cloven hooves and chewed the cud. I don't, I don't know. I don't understand all that. You say you're reading into that. I don't think I am. Though all those things were important. That that's why that happened because Jesus was holy, and you and I can't do that. If we are what we would consider clean, and we touch something dirty. We're dirty too, aren't we? But not Jesus Christ. When something unclean touched Him or He touched something unclean, it no longer was unclean. Because He was God. Because He was holy. And so, every moment of His life, when you read these Old Testament laws, some of them were so tedious. They were so detailed. That's why I get so angry when I hear about New Testament Christians, Bible believers, 
pretending around Easter to keep the Passover. I want to slap them upside the head. Because when you watch them try to keep the Passover, it doesn't even resemble what they were told to do in the Old Testament. It was very meticulous. It was very detailed. But what have they, what have they done? They've went and taken something that was completed, something that was, con, that was finished by Jesus Christ. He was the final Passover. And they have made up an easy, watered-down, piece-of-cake, you know, Passover that is just a mockery of what the real one is. To me, making a mockery of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, I think it is a shame for people, for Christians today, to even try to observe the Passover. And do you understand part of observing the Passover is also keeping all the other feasts too? And did you know that part of keeping the Passover is also keeping the Sabbath day too? Well, why don't we keep the Sabbath day? It's one of the Ten Commandments. I keep hearing that all the time. I think you morons, if you've never read the book of Hebrews, for us to keep the Passover, or to try to keep the Sabbath, it would be an abomination. Because we learn that what the, uh, the Sabbath was, it was a picture, it was, it, was a, it was a picture of entering into His rest. And we see in the Old Testament, when they would not keep the Passover, it was because they did not believe Him. They did not believe God. When God went and He rained that man on the ground, they weren't supposed to go out on the Sabbath day to gather it up, but some people did. God was angry. You know why? It wasn't so much that they broke the Sabbath. It was because of the fact they did not believe God. And for us to try to do a ceremonial thing that Jesus Christ completed is an abomination because Jesus finished that and us as believers, the Bible teaches, we have entered into His rest. And so, I'm not worried about that. Jesus Christ did that for me. Oh, are you sure? I, I think we still need to keep the Sabbath. I'm real sure. In fact, I'm positive. Because Jesus did that for me and I believe Him. I put my faith and trust in Him and I, do, I believe Christians who pretend to try to keep the Sabbath, I think it's an abomination. And I, I, think it's, I, I think it's blasphemous. I think it's sacrilegious. Everything bad you can say about it. Because we are living the Sabbath day. Every day is the Sabbath day for us. We've entered into His rest. But I can tell you this, Jesus Christ, during all those years, I believe He was keeping the Sabbath. Well, what about when those Pharisees were accusing Him? Hey, when He started His ministry, we see that He did some things that didn't go along with their traditions, but He was able to do that because He's Lord of the Sabbath. And he made the Sabbath for us. The Sabbath was not something it was to, you know, to control man or him. And so some great lessons there. And we need to think about these things. About the, not just the birth of Christ and the death of Christ, but every day that he lived mattered. These were highlights. The birth was a highlight. The baptism was a highlight. His ministry were highlights. But every single minute of his life, I mean, we all talk about we all make fun of people who say they've gone a day or a week or a year without sinning. Well, how long do you think any of us have even actually gone? You know? Have we made it ten minutes you know, without sinning? Understand every moment of Jesus' life mattered. If at any moment he would have sinned, he can't be the Messiah. He could he could not have saved us. And so every moment, every second of his life was equally as important as his birth and as his death. Every moment of his life was lived for us. For the joy that was set before him, 
He endured the cross. Well, what was that joy? Us? I don't get that. That just shows that just shows how loving he is. And so let's look at the life of Christ as a motivation to us to live our life for other people. And let's not faint in our minds when we get weary and we get tired. Every moment of Jesus' life, it was lived for us and he succeeded. You know what? We can we can live for others. We can do some great things for others and do some great things for him. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for coming to this earth, for dying on the cross, and just you know living an entire lifetime, Lord, without sin, a life of perfection. We can't even imagine that. We can't even fathom what that must have been like. Lord, I pray you'll help us as we, as we read your word, we study your word, when we go back and we look at that Old Testament, we see just how meticulous those laws were and how detailed and we look at that and we, just, we can't even imagine trying to live by that. Help us understand that you did. You kept every one of those things and you did that for us so you could, just so you could die a horrible death that you did not deserve just so a bunch of uh, dirty, rotten sinners like us could one day be in your presence and enter into heaven. We thank you for that. And I pray you'll help us to keep those things in mind this time of year. In your name we pray. Amen.